Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. Hey, welcome to the show. You know this is my favorite month because this month, every year for the past nine years, we celebrate the Americans with Disabilities Act by having guests on that we know really embody this. This month, in addition to the guest I'll be introducing in a moment, we have Senator Harkin, John Barry, Tony Quello. I mean, we really, really are excited about the, sh- the shows. We have to make sure, as the disability community, that we remember we, too, have a history, and we've got to get that news out. And, Yoshiko, I know you listen to all the shows. So, um, hey, Yoshiko, I know Justin will be listening, too. So, how about this guest today? Let me tell you what. I love our guest today. I would say, if someone would tell me, describe her in one word, I'd say fireball. That's what I'd say, fireball. She is a powerhouse. She's a true civil rights leader and a warrior, and I love her. I can't tell you how much I admire her. Welcome to the show, Becky Ogle. Thank you, Joyce, and the feeling's mutual. Well, Becky, it's so exciting to have you on the show, and I know we have listeners across the country, and what I think it's always important for them to know is why we in the disability community decide it's not just that you wake up and you have a disability, but it's that you wake up and say, yeah, I have a disability, but you know what? I have something to say. I'm going to be an advocate. So the question is, what made you decide to do that? Well, uh, there wasn't really a choice having been born with spina bifida. It sort of was a uh, coincidence of my uh, birth defect. So I immediately, because I was born in 1956, I watched my mom advocate for me in the school system. This is pre-Individuals with Disability Education Act. So she had to advocate daily with the school system. And she was my role model because she never gave up, not one time for having me included and participating. And one thing she taught me was I wasn't special. You weren't special. I wasn't special. I was just like everybody else, that I had different challenges, not challenges, but different requirements. And But I was definitely not special. I was just like my brother and my sister, and I was going to be treated that way. Wow, what a great role model. And, folks... 
since we're talking about this, you know, really, you've got to get away from this special needs term. You've really got to get away from that because that just somehow embodies pity and everything we don't need. Just as Becky said, we are like everyone else. And to that point, we have a question here for you, Becky, from a Dana in Mississippi. How about that? And the question from Dana is, uh, Becky, first of all, I really admire you. I've grown up. It doesn't seem like I have a lot of people that are disability leaders. Um, my question for you is, do you see a difference with young people today moving into the advocacy community? Um, Dana, thank you very much. And um, I'm saddened to say that I don't see a lot of the young people that have just come up to think that ramps were always going to be there and curb cuts and accessible this, accessible that, and reasonable accommodations. They've grown up in it, and when it's there, it's there, and when it's not, they expect it to be there, which is cool. We want them to, but I don't see a lot of uh, young people coming to uh, become advocates in the sense that advocacy that I'm talking in. You can be an advocate in your state, your city, your locale, but I'm talking about joining with others and making a difference and making a change. Yeah, and isn't that what it's all about? Because you know what? We are like one fat, fragmented, really fragmented group. I mean, I always say if we could get together, wow, think how much power we would have in this country. But, you know, we haven't figured out how to do that yet. Well, I have a lot of things to talk to you about, Becky. But before we do that, I want to talk about my favorite topic, which, as you know, Becky, is employment, but I want to talk first about the Supreme Court ruling on the Affordable Care Act before we talk about anything and how you feel that impacts people with disabilities. Okay, what a landmark decision, and I don't use that term lightly, landmark. I've only used it with the ADA, with the landmark legislation. I was completely pulled over when the decision was rendered. I was up at the Supreme Court with a bunch of uh, different groups. Um, sad to say that I was the only one from the uh, disability community that I saw. But I was elated beyond Beyond my expectations, I never thought that Robert Ford would come down with a five-four decision on our side this time. But they did, and it's going to make all the difference in the world, especially when we start educating people and educating people with disabilities and family, friends, parents about what this law is going to do. I think it's going to open up the door for employment choice because the individual mandate is going to require that everybody participates in the healthcare system, thereby spreading the risk. And when someone sees me roll up to the door, they're not automatically thinking, ching, ching, healthcare premiums going up, healthcare premiums going up, because it's going to be spread across the whole 
nation. And that way, that's the only fair way that we can distribute health care short of socialized medicine. Well, I I mean, come on, pre-existing conditions. I mean, that alone is, oh, that's enormous. It's huge. I was denied health care insurance. I don't call it health care. I was denied insurance. And I had to go into a high-risk school because of my pre-existing conditions. And everything that I was, if I got sick, they would automatically say it was pre-existing because they'd find a connection. So I went into a high-risk school and had to pay $825 a month for insurance coverage that doesn't cover anything. But they won't be able to do that in 2014. They they can't do it. They can't price gouges out of the market. They can't suddenly, when you get sick, raise your premium without an explanation. And it's that's all time that these insurance companies got regulated. They're making a fortune, Blue Cross Blue Shield. They're not hurting. Right, and i got to tell you what happened to me. I bet this happened to many of you listeners that were watching this with bated breath. I was happened to be in San Antonio because I was going to speak at a conference, but I was riveted to CNN. I mean, I just knew this was going to be told at 10 o'clock. I've been a nervous wreck about it because as a woman living with epilepsy and former chair of uh, the foundation and, of course, now of AAPD, I'm thinking of all the young people with epilepsy and, you know, other... Uh, chronic disabilities that have been denied and would continue be, to be denied because of that pre-existing condition. And I thought, oh, dear God, please, please let this go through. But just like Becky said, I really didn't think it was going to. So here I am. Actually, I was on the phone with Mark Periello, CEO of AAPD, and I said, Mark, oh, Mark, the decision is coming down right now. And it comes on the screen, Supreme Court has ruled down the Individual Mandate Act. I said, oh, my God, my heart dropped. I said, Mark, this is a terrible day in America. The Supreme Court said no. And Mark said, oh, that's terrible. Well, I better go get a press release out. I hang up the phone. What happens? It comes back on CNN. Oh, we made a mistake. The Supreme Court upheld the Affordable Care Act. Then I had to scramble and get someone to to reach him to make sure he knew what really happened. But apparently that happened on CNN and Fox News. So, Ben, what happened there? Yeah, what happened there? I mean, did they get it right there for the first time, or what happened? Absolutely, absolutely. CNN uh, jumped the gun, and I don't know when they put that on the air, but... We got it. We never heard that it was a bad ruling. All we heard was it was good. First, we heard the individual mandate had been upheld, and then we waited a few minutes before another uh, text message came, and they told us pre-existing conditions and pretty much the basic Affordable Care Act had been upheld with the um, exclusion of the Medicaid mandatory participation. But even with that said, 
states aren't likely to turn away billions of dollars from the federal government to include more people in coverage. So we were just elated. CNN and Fox, I don't know why they did that. They should be ashamed of themselves. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. Um, and I also want to mention, many of my listeners have contacted me about the radio host, Michael Savage, who said, uh, I think it was the day before yesterday, that the reason <clears throat> Supreme Court Justice Roberts made this decision is because it is known he has had seizures and has epilepsy, and he, for that reason, couldn't think straight. That was that was incomprehensible. That was just so uncalled for. Uh, that was... I, I don't even give people like that credit that we shouldn't yeah. even be talking about it. That's so unconscionable to say. The reason that Robert did the right thing was because he knew it was the right thing. It was the law. It was constitutional. It didn't have anything to do with his epilepsy or the medication that he takes to mitigate the epilepsy. It was because he's a legal scholar and he, along with four others, issued the decision that guarantees health care for all. I have only the highest respect for him that he looked at it, as Becky said, as a legal scholar, period. Um, and for all of you that have contacted me concerned about this, hey, there will always be people that will say bizarre things about people with disabilities, not just people with epilepsy, but I assure you that I have no cognitive issues and I do have epilepsy. So... As Becky said, you know, I don't even, uh, just don't worry about it. Just remember the source of where that came from. Um, You know what that reminds me? That just makes me want to fight all the more for people with disabilities to be treated like other minorities because we are the only group that people can say things like that about and it not cause a national uprising. Absolutely. I totally agree, Joyce. They didn't say anything about Chief, uh, Justice Sonia Thornton. I always get her last name wrong. Who has uh, diabetes? Was her medicine affecting the way she thought? Or, or right, Justice, yeah, that's Justice right. That's Ginsburg a good point. Who's had cancer? They didn't say anything about that. So I wouldn't give that, what's his name, Savage? Yeah. I wouldn't give him the time of day. Right. So you know what, folks? As Becky said, don't worry about it. That w- That is just one of so many things that are said about people with disabilities. So you know, well, you that's why we just have to... At the Supreme Court, after the decision was rendered and we were elated, excited, it was just beyond crazy up there. I ran into the Tea Party people and one of the Tea Party ladies that was decked out in red, white, and blue, she had red pom-poms, you know, the things that cheerleaders have, and she told me that I was a burden to society, I wasn't viable, that I was old, and I 
the government wasn't going to give me my medicine because of this health care decision. I looked at her and I said, you haven't a clue what you're talking about. I'm not waiting on the government to give me my medicine. I pay taxes. I am a viable person. And I also pay for my health insurance. And what do you pay for, lady? This is the kind of craziness that's on the other side that got the voices that are saying it's a government takeover of your life. It's not. It's not at all a government takeover. And you will get your medicine and whatever else. And people with disabilities are viable and worthy, and they are not burdened on society. It was hard to believe that this woman could say all of those things to my face. You know what? That is shameful and despicable. Shame on that person. That is unbelievable. You know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of in the 60s when people would say things to the African Americans to their face. It's just that we're not getting together and getting mad enough. I mean, that is absolutely horrible, terrible. That's terrible. I, I mean, I, I too can't believe it, but I want to say two things. Did you all ever hear of Medicare? Where do you think that, who pays for that? The government pays for it, and you use it. That's number one. But number two, just remember, you too could have a disability at some time in your life, and then we'll see how you feel about being a viable person. And that's reality right there. Well, I guess we have a bunch of locos out there. But, um, hey, Becky, you know my big thing is employment. You know I'm all about employment. And here we are, 22 years since the ADA was signed into law, and still we have this, we are the group that has the highest unemployment in the United States. So why do you think that is, Becky? Well, first and foremost, uh, the ADA is civil rights law. It leveled the playing field for employment in, in doing away with discrimination, but it's not a pro-employment law, per se. It just opened the door. And what, what we've been needing, and I think there's several different issues at hand that are preventing. These kids that are coming up now are educated. They want to work in the mainstream environment and the mainstream environment. But I believe that employers are afraid to hire people with disabilities because there's a lot of fraud, fraudulent people claiming to be disabled that threaten to sue if they don't get their way. I just heard of a, of a woman this morning, and it just sickens me because it makes it that much harder for us to get our wheel or foot or whatever in the door. Secondly, we've never had affirmative action in the government. A lot of people have gotten their start in the employment arena through the federal government's contracting system, through the Office of the Federal Contract Compliance Program, which employs, how many is it now, Joyce? 22 million Billion dollars? Oh, you mean, yeah, 22% of 
People and, in the United States work for federal contractors. Right. And we, back in the days of the task force, when Tony Pello and I were working there, we tried to get a goal established to uh, for the federal contracting, but we didn't have the necessary data, and which was true. We didn't. We didn't have a clue who was the person with the disability. Did they have a degree? Were they a lawyer? But now we do, and now it's time that we hold these federal contractors feet to the fire. And the the noise that they're making thus far on just the proposed regulations is just incendiary. It's ridiculous, all the paperwork and the burdens and all that stuff. It's, employment is not about charity. We're not a charity case. We are equal citizens under the law. And if we're not treated as such, then by damn, stand up and scream because it is discrimination. But most people with disabilities will just roll away and say, oh, well, I didn't get the job. We can't be doing that anymore. I agree. And, you know, I'm going to move on to that. Section 503 of the Rehabilitation Act. Written in 1973, as Becky said, not enforced, I remember being at a President's Committee meeting in like 19, maybe 99 or 98, it was one of those two years, and Becky came in and spoke about this. But everyone was telling her, no data, no data, so, you know, we couldn't get anywhere. Well, now that we're in the census and now that we have data, we still have businesses that do not want this to happen. Uh, I am very proud that, let's see, six of ten companies that went forward with supportive letters uh, or statements, CEOs, were all Pittsburgh companies. But, Way to you go. Know, why in the heck is this that, you know, that someone could be so against seeing, as you said, other citizens employed. I guess it goes back to that discrimination, right, Becky? It has to. What else could it be? I mean, I've hit my head on walls trying to figure out what it is because we've got a group of people that are coming up. I think some of them lack social skills, but we need to help them with that. But they're educated, they've got degrees, and they're ready, willing, and able to participate in the workforce. So it's got to be discrimination. And when we get Section 503, we need to do test cases, like the fair housing people did for the African-American community. We need to do that, too. We need to mobilize ourselves and get aggressive and put the information. Yes, every time I speak now to young people or even adults with disabilities, I say, folks, we need a paradigm shift. We've yep. got to stop waiting for people to take care of us because they're not going to. You have to stop waiting for someone to come through that door and say, here, I'm going to help you get a job. It isn't going to happen. We have to get out there just like everyone else and be more assertive and go out to get these jobs. Or, as Becky said, to stand up for yourself. That has to change. We have to change. And, you know, when I was talking about the President's Committee, uh, Becky, 
you worked with both Tony Coelho and Secretary of Labor Alexis Herman during the Clinton administration uh, and headed up that presidential task force on employment of adults with disabilities. Just so we can share a little history with all of our listeners, can you talk about that and what you did? Uh, it was a phenomenal opportunity, um, one in which I had not expected. Um, Tony had asked me to come in to help them find an executive director, uh, which I did. And the task force, the, the executive order was written by the disability community. Um, so it was very much widespread support. The disability community wanted to see changes in employment. So I found them some candidates to interview, and then one day um, Tony called me and he said, why don't you throw your hat in the ring? And I was like, I don't think so. I, I'm not about being patted on the head and sitting behind a, a desk and doing nothing. If this thing's going to make change, absolutely. He said, talk to Secretary Herman. So I did. And she said, no, we want change and we want it, we want it fast. So I came on board and we made change. In fact, the first report that we released, recharting the course, Tony, I, I was told that we had to take out our recommendations, and it was a Sunday afternoon in November, and we were already going to print, and the White House said, you've got to take your recommendations out, and I called Tony, and I said, they wanted to take the recommendations out. He said, bullshit. I said, yeah, that's what I thought, too, and I said, they don't have to accept them. There's nothing in there that says they've got to accept them. And he said, you tell them, if they take the recommendations out, you and I are walking to the first set of microphones we can find. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I like this job. <laughs> but I did, and they backed off. And not only did they let the recommendations stand, they also embraced them and supported every single one of them. And that was just the kind of backing from Tony and Secretary Berman and just the advocacy of all the people, the secretaries across the government that were on the task force, they too were committed to change, and they wanted to see change. And we, the task force was the one that was able to uh, first get the executive order for 100,000 hires in the federal government. And we were also the first, we also launched the whole, uh, methodology studies so that we could acquire the necessary, necessary data that we needed to be able to count people with disabilities. So the task force was a wonderful experience. I'll value it and cherish the memories my entire life. It was a staff was great. We had fun and we were all about change. Well, I think that, too, was a great time, and that leads me to my next question from a Cindy in Maine. And the question is, uh, Becky, every time I read or talk to people about the disability rights time to get the ADA into legislation, it's so exciting. My question is, why do I not sense that excitement today? I think I was talking to some 
able-bodied people earlier today, and one was a black woman, and from the civil rights perspective. And I, I guess if you've had something and you expect it, like the ADA and the provisions that are set forth in the ADA, then what's there to get excited about? Because you spent your life knowing that things were going to be accessible. The biggest, biggest accomplishment I and the proudest moment for me was being involved in the passage of the ADA. That was the single most important moment for me in advocacy, was being in a community of like-minded people, all celebrating the victory of inclusion of people with disabilities, some of which we didn't know, we'll never know, but it was exciting, and we were excited and thrilled, and we wanted the country to be thrilled. If we were to have to do it over today, we'd never get legislation through this Congress. It was a special, unique time in history, and I wish that young people and other people, even if they weren't there, could feel when they go outside and look at a ramp or a curb cut and recognize that wasn't there 23 years ago. People didn't, government, sorry, government didn't care about that. They weren't doing it. We were being excluded, restaurants, movie theaters hospitals, doctor offices, everybody. We were we were second class citizens until the ADA came along. And that's what people need to remember. They need to another thing we need to do is we need to teach the history of disability rights in school curricula. Not just to kids with disabilities, but to all all kids. Because it is historic, it is a movement and our accomplishments have been monumental. So, Cindy, I hope that you'll celebrate this uh, July 26th and know that you're part of a larger community of like-minded and kindred souls, as well as get ready to celebrate a huge 25th anniversary of the ADA. Yeah. Three more years. Right. You know what? I I have interns in my office year-round, but of course I have a lot during the summer, and they are college students with and without disabilities. And I'll never forget when I went around the room and I said, what what have you learned the most or what has had the biggest impact on you and this one young man who did not have a disability but attends a very prestigious university said, well, I noticed how uninformed I was. I said, what do you mean? He said, I mean, I never heard of these people. Justin Dart, Tony Quello, Judy Human, Becky Ogle, Marka Briss. I've never heard of them. He said, and so my point is, this isn't in the history books. You don't study this when you're at school. You don't know all of this. And I said, and that is shameful. We need to work with the Department of Education, the disability community, and really press that because it should be included. 
This is one of the reasons people don't know anything about what we do or don't take us credible if you're not even part of history. Absolutely. So you're but, right, Becky. You are Joyce, right you on. Do a lot. Well, you do, you do a, a tremendous amount with young people, and I applaud you for that. You, you've gone above and beyond uh, the measures to make sure that young people know their history, embrace it, learn it, and live it. So I give you a lot of credit for that. Well, I have a great role model with Yoshiko Dart and Tony Quello, who believe so much, you know, in youth and young people and training them and helping them. But, boy, we need a lot more. It's funny you brought up young people because I've been doing volunteer work with young high school students with disabilities for over 12 years now, and now it's called the Bender Leadership Academy teaching about work, but also being a leader and believing in yourself. This is how I found out about how brutally high school students with disabilities are being bullied to the place that some of them are committing bully side. And sadly, Becky met a person that did this. I mean, sadly, the person did this. Uh, who was a young man that I mentored, and I'll tell you, when he took his life, I couldn't talk about it for a long time. And, Becky, I'm talking about Sam Miller. I know. It's tragic. It's, it's, it's a terrible commentary on society. Yes. And Sam, with epilepsy, these kids used to hit him in the head and say, come on, let's see a seizure. And he uh, attempted suicide by cutting his wrist and survived, and when he got out of the hospital the first time, they said, come and see us the next time, and you'll, we'll tell you how to do it right. And as the years went on, he developed clinical depression, and I really thought, I mean, I really loved him, and I really thought, as a matter of fact, as I'm talking on the radio show, I'm looking, seeing a photograph of him, and I really thought that, you know, we were making it, and then on May 2nd, his mother called me. He couldn't find, she couldn't find him. And he walked into a river over a dam before he texted them goodbye. This has to stop. That's why as the chair of the American Association of People with Disabilities, I have made bullying one of our national initiatives. And we do have a PSA commercial, if, but if you go to AAPD, Dot com. That's AAPD.com. You can see that video. But, Becky, a lot of young people do listen to this show. And for young people with disabilities who are being brutally bullied in school, what, what advice do you have for them? Seek counseling, first and foremost. Let someone know that what's going on. And don't try to handle it on your own. And it's very isolating feeling to be picked on. Uh, you feel like you've got no friends, no nothing, no community. But often you do, you just can't see it at the time. So tell an adult, a responsible individual at the school and your parents what's going on. And let them 
help intervene. Nothing is insurmountable. Bullies come and bullies go. They're always going to be a part of life. We just have to rise above and help each other. Seek the comfort and love from the community of people. Reach out to us on Facebook and say, I need your support. Do whatever you've got to do, but don't be alone because that's when you start to get really, really threatened and lonely and feel like there's no hope left. Because I, I was with Sam on the walk. And was it March or April? March. And, and he was he was a happy soul. And he, he genuinely enjoyed himself. And I had no idea he was... I knew he had been bullied, but I had no idea the depth of his loneliness and despair. And that's what you got to share with people. Let people in. Don't take your life. Then you give the bully the upper hand. We'll stand up with you. We'll roll together. We'll skate together. We'll do whatever it takes. But don't isolate yourself to the point of where you've secluded and excluded those that can help you. Yes, you cannot keep it a secret. I mean, there has to be someone. If it's not your parents, it's a teacher. If it's not a teacher, it's a pastor or a rabbi. And if it's not that, it's a coach at school. It's um, so, uh, someone, counselor, somebody, but you cannot keep it a secret. Because just as Becky said, this will build up inside of you. It will get worse and worse, and you'll think, I can't do anything about this. Never Absolutely. is the answer. Never is the answer taking your life. Never. When I, oh, sorry, Joyce. I was just no, going to say, when, when I was growing up, um, I was able to defend or um, not defend, but uh, offset the vibes coming at me because I had a smart aleck mouth. And but the whole time that I was being a smart aleck, I knew the pain inside of being isolated and being the only person in the whole school system that had a disability. And it wasn't a disability then. It was uh it wasn't a handicap, it wasn't a disability, it was something that they supposedly the medical community could fix. And after multiple million trillion surgeries and they didn't fix me, I was sort of like, give us our money back. I didn't know that I didn't need to be fixed until I got to Washington, D.C. and joined with the community that was gathered to um, pass the ADA. So seek out community of like-minded and kindred spirits. That will lessen the bully attack. Yes, right. And let me just mention, this cyberspace bullying, I know it's terrible. But I want to tell you, we have a page on Facebook. It's called the Bender Lead on Team. And what it is, is hundreds and hundreds of young people or young adults uh, with disabilities or older people with disabilities, but mainly youth that when they are bullied or something happens, they go on and say, hey, 
This is what's happening to me. And all of a sudden, people come out of everywhere in the United States, and they're saying, hey, I'm here for you. Hey, girl, you got a friend here. And all of a sudden, you whoa, I have these friends I didn't even know about. You know, go there, Bender Lead on Team on Facebook, uh, because as Becky said earlier, you know, what can we do if we all work together? You need that community. You need other people. You need to get around other people because it just it just will help you so much. Uh, don't you agree with that, Becky? Absolutely. And building the community at the local level is critically important, too. It's not just important to do it in Washington, D.C. or state houses, but building a community of people at your local level is so very important. Um, we, we are marginalized greatly by our inability to coalesce as a community. And we're marginalized in employment. We're marginalized in research. Uh, polls don't ask questions about what we like, uh, what we shop for, et cetera. We're marginalized in politics. It, we have to work so very hard to even get the first sentence uh, stated from a politician. It, it, God suspect that a local politician would uh, be talking about our issues. So if you we you can't do it alone. You need to form a group, give everybody a voice in that group, and make change. We're not going to change if we don't coalesce and join together. And right there is a way you can become an advocate. Just by doing that, you can become an advocate um, because... It starts. It may start with two, three, five, but once you get it going, it really takes off. It really does. E- even at your schools, you could do this. Uh, Absolutely. But Becky, right. Becky, here's my question. You are very well known uh, for the great things you've done in the disability community. Um, my question is, do you have their back, Becky? Oh, my gosh, yes. Yeah. Every got their back. Day. You heard it. You, she, uh, and she means it. So, you Absolutely. know, don't do anything stupid. Don't do it. Uh, just remember what she said. You're helping them. You're letting them win. Yeah. And they don't deserve to win. So no. don't do that. So, Becky, you talked about this earlier, but what I wanted to ask you is who your role model is. Well, my mom growing up because she forced me. She wouldn't let me give up. There were many a day when I'd come home from school saying I wish I were dead or I wish I was born with mental retardation so I didn't have to know what I knew about people in life. And she yanked me up and uh, give me a good talking to and say, you don't know how good you've got it, little girl. And she pushed me and pushed me, and she's what made me who I am today. Um, and as far as when I came to Washington, I got to, I was so very lucky that I got to travel with Justin Dodd during the health care reform and Yoshiko 
that was a time of our life. For the first time during Clinton, the early years, when we tried to pass the health care overhaul, Justin and I traveled extensively to multiple states, and Yosipo was right there with us the whole way. And I got to learn a lot about Justin, who he was as a person, as an individual, and as a relentless advocate and a selfless advocate. He was the kindest, gentlest man I believe I've ever met in my entire life. He was my Gandhi. Oh, I agree with you. You know what I regret the most is that (coughs) I got to know him later, only a few years before he passed away. And I was so impressed with him. Always I was impressed with him, but I didn't know him until a few years. So my blessing is that my friend Yoshiko, who I know well, has helped keep on that spirit because just as Becky said, I know of, I don't know of anyone that could bring people together and unify people the way Justin could. There's not been another. And that's what we lack, is a, a unifying figure. And, I, you know, just like Martin Luther King and Gandhi and all the other, you know, heroes of different movements and peace movements, what did they do when they lost their father figure, as Justin's called? I mean, he had a way of unifying a very incoherent sometimes and destructive um, voice. He, he, when the community was outraged that Washington, D.C. wasn't talking to the grassroots enough, Justin brought everybody together in a room, paid for the room. I'm sure he paid for some of them to fly in and had a come to Jesus meeting to discuss what would help, and that's how Justice for All got created. Yeah, and just as you said, boy, we need, you know, we need that. We really do need that. You know, when he passed away, it was as if, well, there it goes. I mean, really, that's how a lot of people thought about this, but I say and I maintain that we really have to get together. You know, we really have to get unified. Um, and I can see, Becky, why that it will be me- that will be memories that you will treasure. That I must say, many people do not have. Yeah, they're they're very valuable to me. Very valuable. And you know what? When I dare Dart was on my show, she said people would say to me about my father, well, what was he like uh, at other times? And I would say, what do you mean at other times? There was no other time. He <laughs> was the same all the time. All the time. And, and you said, know, on... that man could have ridden around in limousines, and when they had a car, they rode around in a little itty-bitty Toyota. Uh, I think it was a Toyota. It was small and cramped. And when he flew places, he didn't fly first class. He could have. 
He could have if he wanted, but he gave everything he had to the disability rights movement. He was invested in seeing that adaptive succeed, seeing that the consortium of citizens with disabilities succeeded, young people was committed to seeing their inclusion. He was just an all-round great guy. He had no agenda other than disability rights. Yeah. Yeah, what she talked about is even on holidays. You know, yeah. even on uh, holidays, she said there I'd be on Thanksgiving with all these people from uh, that were homeless or, or from the uh, the psychiatric community. She said, you know, like this halfway house that was close to them. You know, she said this was like 24 by 7. This oh, wasn't just sometimes. Absolutely. This wasn't, wasn't just like I'm going to put this act on. Yeah, it wasn't something he turned on in the morning. He lived it. He swept it. He ate it, drank it, breathed it. That was who Justin was. And still is. His spirit is very much alive. That is thanks true. To, thanks to Yosiko and uh-huh. for many others. Yes, and we will keep that spirit alive because just as you said, you know, Martin Luther King Jr., his spirit is truly never left. The, you know, what he did for the world. Uh, same thing with Gandhi. But, you know, we need to be like that. That's why I say we need a history. You know, we need a history. You don't see where you go to, like, say it's a store that sells a lot of civil rights memorabilia. You don't see all these posters with Justin Dart. You know, you don't see all these shirts you can buy, you know, with uh, Justin and a quote by him. That's what I mean about somehow we've got to get fired up and get more together, you know, doing more things together. I have the unusual background of coming from the private sector and a for-profit company, but being uh, an advocate. It's a very uh, different than, you know, a lot of people that are in the community, but I always say we're all one. You know, you have a disability. We're all one. We all right. are one, but we have to start working together. Absolutely. And be proud of our history. Be proud. Oh, amen to that. Well, Becky, um, you know, you're already famous in our world. And by the way, this woman's been Washington Post, you know, all these newspapers. Um, I mean, she's known. Let me tell you, she is a civil rights leader. Uh, so, Becky, you've already done so much, but what would you say is your greatest accomplishment? Wow. I don't think I've achieved it yet. There have been many great accomplishments, but and they've all been shared. Um, the creation of the Office of Disability Employment Policy and Department of Labor, uh, the ADA, the Ticket to Work and Work Incentive Act, the Executive Order on the 100,000 Hires for the Federal Government that Bush rescinded, uh, Bush II. Um, and, but, my greatest accomplishment will be the day when I see more people with disabilities working alongside their peers and other people in society 
the temporarily able-bodied people, that will be the day to celebrate. And I won't do it alone because, Joyce, you're in it. I'm in it. We're all in it for the long haul. And we need everybody to help us. If we're really going to bring about change in the employment of people with disabilities, we have to join together. Oh, we do. We have to join together. And we just can't talk about it. See, that's the thing. We've got to get fired up. We've really got to get fired up about these things, or we're not going to be able to make that difference. So, Becky, what message would you like to leave with our listeners today? Wow. Well, get involved in politics and just your life depended upon it because that's where it happens. And get involved. Don't sit on the sidelines. Get involved. Start a group at the local level of like-minded people. And be at campaign events. Be at your local congressmen, rallies, etc. Make yourself seen. Make yourself heard. Make your issues known because they don't know what our issues are. They don't know. And the media is not going to tell them. They don't know. And we can't wait for someone else to tell our story. We have to tell our own story in our own words and with our own voice. So please, if you're listening out there, you want to get involved, go to Joyce's website and say, I want to get involved. How can I get involved? And we'll get you involved. We'll help you. We just need everybody to come together if we're going to affect change. Uh, that's www.benderconsult.com. Benderconsult.com. And you know what? Maybe, Becky, maybe what we need to do is maybe we need to get, you know, a group of leaders and disability advocates together for a, a meeting and really figure out hey, what do we got to do to get this organized? You know, we need to be more organized. And I know one person that could lead that, Mark Periella, AAPD. So, you know, we've really got to get this going because if we don't, that fire will become a little wee teeny tiny spark and we can't let that happen. Absolutely. Go to AAPD. Is it .com or .org? .com. .com. Go join AAPD because that's the American Association of People with Disabilities. What other organization is there that represents all people with disabilities, epilepsy, diabetes, you name it? It goes across the board. There's only one organization that does that, and that's AAPD. So join now. It's not expensive, and you'll start to belong. You'll feel like you belong, and from there, the world is an oyster. Oh, that's so true. AAPD.com. As a matter of fact, if you want to get involved, you can go right there and say you want to get involved. AAPD.com. And with that, we've got to get ready to close the show. Becky, thank you so much for being thank with you. us. Thank you. I'm honored. I'm honored well, to be on your show. We're honored to have you, and listen, we end the show with a quote from a famous civil rights leader, and since we're kicking off ADA month, well, who other could it be than Justin Dart? 
lead on. Lead on. And, boy, is Becky Ogle a good example of that. Thank you, everyone. Get ready. Get ready this month to rock and roll. I will look forward to talking to you next week. Talk then. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com.